Well, this is a fantastic story for us to hear on Joy Sunday because these are parables of joy. And I say these because that story you just heard a part of a moment ago is the third in a three-part parable trilogy that Jesus packaged up and then unwrapped for them as he was talking about God and God's joy. And actually, that is a huge part of the gospel, unveiling, revealing, unwrapping The gospel is not only about God's saving, but also about God's unveiling, which makes this story and so many of the stories that Jesus told and Jesus himself apocalyptic. Now we've thought and talked a little bit about what it means to be apocalyptic some over the last couple of years, especially since this pandemic began, because when things start happening in the world, like things have been happening in the world, we tend to think of apocalyptic things. Something is apocalyptic because it reminds us that maybe the world is coming to an end, and that's not the case here, but it may in fact be apocalyptic because it seems like the world as we know it is coming to an end. And in that sense, These days have been apocalyptic, just like Jesus is apocalyptic. But apocalypse also means something else. It literally means unveiling. It literally means revealing. That's why the last book of the Bible, which is known as the apocalypse, is known to us as the revelation. And so times of apocalypse reveal things to us. They unveil things to us. And so we've asked from time to time as we've gone through these months together, what is God revealing to us? What is God revealing and unveiling about us? Apocalypse is like that. And Jesus himself is a kind of apocalypse. When we look at the teachings and the life of Jesus, something is being unveiled for us. Something is being revealed for us about God, and in this case, God's joy. So that when we look at Jesus and listen to the teachings of Jesus, one of the questions that we often ask is being answered. And the question is, what is God like? And even more, we ask that question as we look to Jesus and we say, well, what would God do in this situation? Or how would God respond in this particular situation? And while it's difficult to know with any kind of particularity the answer to that, Jesus does give us some pretty good pointers, especially in these parables of joy. We see three of them, and as we look at them, we're supposed to be asking ourselves, what does this tell us about what God is like? We've often heard these parables called the parables of the lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And yet Jesus, while it is about lost things, never calls these parables the parable of the lost things. But instead, he calls them, uh, he refers to them by their subject. And so it's important for us to look at the subject of the parables, because the subject of the parables are the stand-ins in this moment for God. God should always be the subject, in fact. 
So we look at the first parable and we see a parable about a shepherd who his entire economy, all of his wealth was in these 100 sheep. Everything that he lived for was built up in these 100 sheep and one of them goes wandering away and Jesus said God is like this. One goes wandering away and each sheep is so valuable that the shepherd will leave those 99 hopefully with someone and go over every hill and valley and in every corner of this, this area, sometimes valleys that are like the shadow of death to find that one sheep, put him on his shoulders, and carry him back home. God is like that with things that have wandered off. And Jesus says God is like a woman who all the wealth she has is bound up into these ten coins and one of them goes missing and she values that coin so much that she begins to dust every nook and cranny of her house, turning over chairs and tables, trying to recover that one lost coin. That's what God is like. Or God is like not a prodigal son, but Jesus says a father who had Two sons who was waiting there on the porch for one of them to come home. God is the subject of this parable and should be of all of our stories as well. And when we look at the subject, we get a glimpse into what God is like. Like a shepherd who goes looking for that one sheep. Like a woman who's turning over tables to find that one coin. And in this case, a parent looking and longing for a lost son. Now, many of us may be able to relate to these different parables in different ways. Me, myself, I grew up out in the country, and so there's a little bit of this whole shepherd losing a sheep thing that I get every now and then. A, a cow would go wandering through the fence, and we would have to find them. And also now I have a couple of dogs, and every now and then their invisible fence, their collars lose its battery, and they go wandering off out through the neighborhood. But I've never had... 100 sheep or any kind of livestock and had to worry about one wandering away. Just like I've never been a woman looking for one-tenth of my entire retirement plan hiding somewhere in the house. But I am a parent. I am a father of two sons and a daughter. And so as I read and studied this parable of joy this week, that was the seat from which I read it. And there's actually something illustrated in the Dr. Seuss movie and book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that I thought about as I was reading this particular story. Not because the father is a Grinch, there's another Grinch-like person in the story that we won't get to today. Not because the father is a Grinch, but because of something the Grinch experienced in that moment when he was sitting on the edge of that cliff, you remember, at the end of the the show, and he's listening for the sounds of sadness. He's listening for the sounds of sorrow, for the sounds of sighing, hoping that he had indeed stolen the Christmas from the Who's. And yet instead what we're told is that the sound he heard emanating from their community wasn't sad. No, this sound was glad. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. It came somehow or another. It came just the same. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow stood puzzling and puzzling. How could this be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. 
He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore, and then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, he thought, means a little bit more. And then what happened down in Whoville, they say, well, the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through as the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. And in a way, that is something I have experienced too. Not because my heart was stingy or grinchy or small, but because of how it has expanded on one, two, three of my best days of all. It happened the first time I'd ever experienced it when my son Jackson was born. That was the moment I became a parent. And I'd heard about this thing that some of you have heard about or experienced, and I'd heard about it and I knew about it conceptually. I knew that, that, that people had told me that when you have a child and your child is born, that your heart will grow to create more space for that child. It just happens. So I knew this, I'd, I'd heard about this, but the moment I saw Jackson for the first time, I experienced it. And Christy would tell you that she looked up at me and saw a tear coming from my eye. And I think that was a symbol of what was happening in my heart as he grew, it grew to embrace my son. Now this happened each and every time a child was born. Sometimes I think our children wonder if when we have other children, if our love is being divided between them. But we know that's not true. Because each time a child is born, your heart grows a little bit more, maybe even a lot more, so that it can hold a level of love that it's never held before. Now, if that's true for us, how much truer do you think it might be for the God who is love and who loves us greatly and who has claimed us as beloved children. What if each and every time a child is born into the world, each and every time a new soul comes into existence, the heart of God grows? We sing during this season, and we will later today, let every heart prepare him room. That says so much about the nature of the Advent season. But what if that call to prepare room for the heart of God actually is only a reflection, a small reflection, of how God's heart is always growing to prepare room for us? The love of God. The God who is love and the way that God loves is not divided but expands with each and every child that comes into existence so that there is always room for all of us. God is described in this parable as a loving, waiting, longing, and heartbroken parent. And many parents in this room know what that is like too. The painful side of love. The, sat, the shadow side of joy and love. What, what is it that happens when the space in a heart that has joyfully grown to help a parent hold their child in that space, what is it that happens 
when that space begins to be filled for one reason or another, not with presence, but with absence. Because the child that space grew to hold is no longer with them. This happens in so many ways. And I I speak this painfully aware that people I love in this room have experienced something like this. Sometimes we lose children in tragic and unexpected ways. A parent should never have to experience that with a child, but they do. There's a miscarriage. There is some other tragic illness or complication that takes a child's life. And when that happens, the space that has grown to hold that child, it never shrinks. In fact, it only grows. And in that space, there is now, where there was once only joy, an intermingling of joyful memory and painful absence, of the gift of having them and the sometimes suffocating absence we feel as we long for them, as we wonder about them, as we suffer from a loss that will never quite leave us. And sometimes this is also intermingled with another kind of complexity and complication, where that longing and that pain and that hope that aches in us from a child that is no longer in our lives, we know is also still alive out there in the world. There's a break in the relationship. There's a lingering conflict. There's resentment. Sometimes even there are mental and emotional health issues that that make this relationship almost non-existent. There are all kinds of reasons why this can happen. And none of those reasons ever shrinks the pain and the absence and the longing for the joy that can only come in relationship, in reunion, in restoration, in reconciliation. It is just there. And whether that reunion can happen on earth or will happen eventually in heaven, we long for it. And the space of longing, the shadow side of that love and that joy, it's just there sitting with us. Just as it was sitting with that father who was sitting on that porch in that parable, waiting for his son to hopefully one day come home. What is this parable telling you about God and God's heart for you? Sometimes we can only understand real joy against the backdrop of real pain. Sometimes we can only understand real exuberant joy, the real exuberant joy of reunion against the backdrop of real actual separation. Sometimes the joy of being found in love and by love can only be fully appreciated when we've sat and suffered with its loss. And I think that's something we're meant to see here. When this son went away from his father, he asked him for his inheritance now. 
which many of you know was as if in that culture and time saying to his father, Dad, I wish you were already dead. Because you wouldn't get the inheritance, right? Until the father was dead. And so for him to say, I want the money now, I want the land now, I want the animals now, I want the economics of this situation in my pockets now, was to say to his father that was something that was more than a sign of immaturity and selfishness. It was an act packed with an arsenal of suffering and pain aimed at this father and really the whole community. Because in their view of eternity, The sons were the father's inheritance. They were his legacy. And in this society, there was no no health insurance. There was no life insurance. There was no retirement plan except for the expectation that one day your children would take care of you and your loved ones and your legacy. There was an expectation that you were all in this together. So that Honoring your father and mother, you remember that? It's not just about respecting your parents. It meant when the time came, you would take care of them and take care of everyone that they had been taking care of. There was an entire economy built around this father's land. And it supported the livelihood not just of this family, but of every family that depended on this land to produce life for them. So when the son said, give me my inheritance, it was more than a slap in the face. It was a blow to every family in this community. A blow to every family in the community. That they experienced because the father did something that they thought was wrong. He should have disciplined him. Should have said no to him. Should have laid out, this is how you act and this is how you don't act. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. But instead of saying no to the child, instead of disciplining the child, the father let the child go his own way. What's that sound like? And even went so far as to grant his wish and make it possible for him to go his own way. Distributing his land, did you notice this? and all of his holdings between both sons while he was still alive. Which meant that when the younger son liquidated his assets and squandered them all on wild and selfish living, it wasn't just him and his father who suffered, but it was everyone connected to that land who could no longer support the livelihood of their family. This father's love was reckless. Reckless and fierce. So fierce that he allowed his child to go his own way. So fierce that he was now sitting on that front porch for days and months and years with the ache of his son's absence ever present in his heart. While his son was out there doing God knows what with hope that somehow, some way, he might see him one day again. And some of you know what that's like too. And I'm so sorry. God knows what that's like too. God knows what that's like too. 
In this story, I think it's worth noting that the son didn't come back home because he suddenly realized his own great love for his father. That never happened. But instead, what did happen was he hit rock bottom, came near death, and realized and remembered his father's love for him. When he hit rock bottom, he remembered his father's love for him. He squandered everything that his father had given him. He was so desperate in that moment, in fact, that he hired himself out to a Gentile pig farmer. Now, you remember how the Jewish people felt about pork, right? Hired himself out as a servant to a Gentile pig farmer, didn't eat the pig, but began to get so desperate that he ate his slop. He'd gotten here because he'd just as well have wished his father dead, and now he was tasting death himself. He was so desperate. So desperate that he finally did the only thing he knew to do. He returned to the only one that he knew might actually venture to be able to save him because he knew he'd shamed everyone else in his life. He'd hurt so many people. His brother was never going to take him back, but he knew at this point that maybe even as a servant, his father, because of his father's love for him, might take him back in that way, and that would be more than he deserved. Though fortunately for him and us, parents like this don't deal in deserve. The shame was still fresh in his brother's mind, but not his father's. Because his father would have done anything for him. Anything to be reunited with him. Anything to have that emptiness in his heart that was there making space for his boy be fully and finally filled once again with joy. What was it the author of Hebrews said? For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy. To lose a child has to be in some ways a kind of crucifixion of the heart. It breaks you, your heart and leaves you with a constant longing for the wholeness that can only come through joyous reunion. Only. The sun was so far down the path that day. It was just a random day. There was no signal he was coming home. How was it that the father saw him? sitting on that porch with the longing of a shepherd who'd lost one precious sheep, sitting on that porch with the longing of a, one, of a woman who was still looking for one-tenth of her income that had somehow slipped away. The father saw him coming from a long way off, and, and in the midst of that, the son is there preparing the speech that he'd been working on, his father muttering it to himself, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your, but the father didn't hear a word of it. Instead, he saw his son coming in the distance, jumped off the porch and out of his sandals. His clothes and his beard were flowing in the wind. He embraced and widened his heart and his embrace as the tears from his eyes continued to flow. Get the robe. Get the rings. Kill the calf. My son was dead and he's alive again. My son was lost and now he's found. 
Other people were muttering in the background. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. You know what he did to us? This is not what he deserves. That's right. That's right. It's not what he or any of us deserve. But Jesus says it's exactly what we're going to get. Because God doesn't deal in deserve. And that, my friends, is something to celebrate. That, my friends, is something to look forward to without fear. That, my friends, sounds like good news of great joy that will be for all people. The joy we're talking about today, I want to make sure you get this, is not our joy. It's about God's joy. It's about the joy that God will experience and the joy that will meet us when we meet God in person. If you've ever wondered what God thinks of you, if you've ever wondered how God feels about you, know this. The answer Jesus gives to that question is good, joy-filled news. Let's stand and celebrate that news together.